Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This week's episode is number 219. In our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships, views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Paige Turner's new book, A Geek's Guide to Unicorn Ranching. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. Hey, Woody. What about the weather? Spring sprung? Uh, well, it, it's threatening. It's threatening. Yeah. It's threatening. Well, well, we are in the South. We're subject. Things are subject to change. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, in in one week, we can have anything from snow, rain to a tornado to desert. This is true. This is true. And I think we had all of those. Yes. So, so much fun. Our guest, where are you at, Paige? I'm up in Cleveland, actually. Cleveland. Yeah, it's funny because it was 70 degrees here yesterday. And then it was, I think, like 60 this morning. And then by the time I I went out to get the mail at at like 5 o'clock today, it was like 35. So I don't know what's going on here either. Well, we're on the roller coaster right now. Yeah, well, you're, you're up there with the lakes. So, so that throws everything off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, returning back to us is Paige Turner. Hi. Hello. <laughs> it's great to be back. It's been a couple of months since you've been with us, and you've been a busy girl again. Yeah, lots of writing. Um, way too much writing, actually, to tell you the truth. But uh, coming up with some good stuff. Just uh, put out my second book, uh, Geek's Guide to Unicorn Ranching. A Geek's Guide to Unicorn Ranching. Okay, I, I can figure out the geek part. Now, a lot of people don't know what a unicorn is. Sure, yeah. So a unicorn is a word that is often used in both uh, polyamorous and swinger circles. And what it usually refers to is um, an unattached person, usually a woman, who is willing to date a couple. Um, and they're called unicorns because they're, you know, magical, wonderful, sought after, but they're rare enough that people can go a long time without, especially if you're a couple and you're dating without meeting someone. So the joke is that they're so rare that they might as well not exist. Yeah. And, and, and in this case, you want to ranch them. Yes. <laughs> and here I thought this was a science fiction fantasy book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah. 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 So it shows you that, 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 I, that I haven't picked up my copy yet. Mm-hmm. Where did the idea for this book come from? I've been writing every day at my blog, poly.land. Um, and I would get like these letters uh, just from readers. And I try to be very sensitive to what the, the readers are looking for, what they're interested in. And, you know, there are a lot of people who, who are out there that open up from an existing couple and they would like to, you know, have a triad, to have a three-person relationship. Um, so a lot of people will go out looking for somebody else uh, to date, you know, both them and their partner. And when they go... Even if they're well-intentioned, they don't always know how to go about it. So 
they kind of will go and they'll approach, you know, people looking for a third partner and they'll do so in a way that's really off putting uh, and they'll get called unicorn hunters, which is, you know, another kind of term. That's, that's a term for a couple who's looking, you know, to date someone together. Um, and unicorn hunters get a really bad rap because a lot of times they have a lot of unrealistic expectations when they're setting out. Um, they're looking at, you know, uh, demanding things like, you're going to love us both equally, which is something that's really oh, arguably yeah. not possible to accomplish. Let's set up a failure there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, like you'll never do anything that'll make either of us jealous as a rule. I've seen <laughs> that as a rule, yeah. which, you know, we don't know often what, what will make us jealous. We don't always know where our kind of like soft spots are, our, our insecurities are. So expecting somebody else to know what they are beforehand can be very difficult. So, so people tend to, you know, kind of had these expectations. So the unicorn hunter thing is um, something that's usually said as an insult. And I was, you know, talking to this person and they're like, well, how can I go about looking for a unicorn or looking to form a triad in a way that's actually fair to people? And I said, well, that's the problem. You know, you don't want to be a unicorn hunter. You want to be a unicorn rancher. You want to set up your life really well, your relationship, your personal development in a way that it's it's something somebody else would want to join. You know, kind of like plant the flowers, unicorn likes, leave the gate open, and then that person will wander onto your lawn. And that's actually what happened to me. I'm, I'm in a triad right now, and it's it happened to me completely by accident. So basically, they said this, you know, and I and I, I kind of worked with them, and I kept getting these different, you know, correspondences with people, and they kept saying, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? You should write a book. And so I did. And there it is. And so you left the front gate open and caught one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they say, you know, with unicorns and mythology that uh, you may uh, have a unicorn visit you, but you don't ever really tame one. So I don't know if I've caught her, but she showed up. So that's a good thing. <laughs> this relationship has been going on for a couple months though now, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, this was a funny thing where um, my partner and I, we've both dated other people separately. We both have other partners. And basically, he had started dating her and... She, unbeknownst to me, actually kind of liked me. And I thought when I met her, I was going to get this really great new, you know, metamor, this friend in my life. Um, and lo and behold, she actually liked me. So it was actually kind of like one of those buy one, get one deals. And I was like the get one free. So it was pretty great. That's like a bonus prize. Yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I found that that to be the case a lot of times, um, that if you're open to things and you're not forcing people, that you're more likely to to end up with good compatibility. Because I think it's when people try to force things that, you know, they, they go really, you know, pear-shaped. Well, yeah, and setting expectations too high is uh, just a setup for failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're, we're going to have this relationship between three people as you said, there's going to be no jealousy. Everything's going to be equal. Yeah. yeah that lasts yeah. about five minutes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if like you're setting it up so that the, the person who's joining you can't date anybody of their own outside of the relationship. And you're also not giving them equal access to you. Like you don't live together. Like you, there's all these inequalities. It, it can be very, very difficult and very intimidating and scary for somebody. So I think you have to really, like you said, kind of moderate your expectations and be very flexible in, in what you're doing and try to meet them halfway or two thirds of the way. Cause there's two of you. So I think a lot of times you should be doing a lot of work for the unicorn. Well, and they're coming into a relationship that's already established with mm-hmm. all of the inside jokes, all of the knowledge, and you and your partner have been together a few years now, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, my partner, geez, um, uh, seven years, 
I want to say. Yeah, seven years. I'm always bad at remembering. He's actually better at our anniversary. We're kind of gender reversed that way. But I think it's been seven years, maybe eight. So yeah, you have that all that history, all that stuff. And that's not going to feel equal. That's not going to feel fair. So you have to basically go out of your way. I always actually advise spoiling somebody that you're dating that's new. And that's good and fine for a while. But then the green eyed monster will appear from the other partner. Yeah, it, it, it totally can. And I think that that's why it's really important. So sometimes people will look at a triad and unicorn dating as like the easy path. They'll look at it as the easy way to do polyamory because they're like, well, I won't have to deal with my jealousy and insecurity because we'll be dating the same person. But actually, a lot of times it can set up different ways. Like you said, um, when your partner sees you spoiling somebody new and they're like, hey, you haven't done that for me in a while. Or when they think the other person you're dating together might like you more than them or vice versa like there's all these different new ways in which you can be jealous and insecure and you don't have cultural scripts for it because it's such a unusual relationship um, so I think that can be a real pitfall I think you really have to no matter what you're doing whether you're dating on your own whether you're dating people together you really have to do that personal security work but it's worth it well your your unicorn was blessed in that her relationship is with a sort of expert in the field. Sure, yeah, yeah. On, yeah that's uh, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and a very well versed person in com- communication uh-huh. on the on the matter. Uh was this her first uh rodeo? Yeah, I, I think that would be a good way of putting it. I mean she has um she has another well, she has two other partners. She has a somebody she's married to. She also uh, has a boyfriend. But this was definitely her first instance ever of dating a couple. And and to be quite honest, it's been an interesting path because I'm also the first woman she's ever dated. Um, Now, mind you, I am a person who is bisexual, but mostly attracted to women. And I've, I've been, I actually thought I was gay when I was younger. So I, and I also really like femme women. Um, So I have, had a lot of straight women or straight identifying women that I've been their first kind of girlfriend. So I'm kind of used to that, but it, it actually has been a very, very interesting situation and, and, and challenges all around to be, to be completely honest. Now she has a complex polycule herself mm-hmm. and you have a polycule and your husband mm-hmm. is a polycule. Mm-hmm. Does this take some of the strain off of the relationship when they have so many outlets going on that uh, it's not so so much fixation? I think so. It, well, in particularly in our case, because all of those other relationships are, are very healthy, I think it could be harder if we had all kinds of things going on and they weren't going well. But because she does have really, you know, a couple of really stable relationships um, that we all do, that it really does help all of us to kind of, you know, take our time and not put too many eggs in one basket. I know it sounds kind of weird, but just you're right, because you can get really fixated on one thing or one incident and lose track of the bigger picture. And I think when you've got a lot of stuff going on, you're less likely to sort of obsess and to get you're you're more able to stay in the moment because, frankly, you kind of have to, you know. The big problem here is time. You know, it's pulling out the day planner and trying to figure out how to fit all those dates in with the different people. Oh, yeah, sure. And and especially, I, I mean, I find that it's easier for her, 
like now that she started dating us together more. So when we first started uh, both dating her, it, it was really important for her. And, and I understand why um, to see us a lot separately to make sure that, you know, we had our different relationship and our chemistry individually locked down. Um, and to also make sure that we were both legitimately interested in her and not just looking to annex her onto what we had already kind of like a toy. Cause I, and I understand that I've actually been in the unicorn role. I've dated couples. So I'm, I'm well acquainted with that role as well. Um, so that was, harder logistically when we started that now that we're kind of have more of the flexibility to uh, see each other together most of the time it that's helped a lot but it was really hectic at the beginning because she she had all these different dates to coordinate and as I was working with my my partner Justin and I uh, my anchor partner that I live with it was hard sometimes we'd be um, being like so did you talk to her? Did you schedule? And we would kind of have these uh, conflicting times that we would both want to have a date and we'd have to kind of figure out, okay, well, who gets dibs on this date night? Who gets <laughs> okay. dibs on this date night? Uh. And not not be like tearing her apart like that. So, you know, it was logistically, it was a real challenge. But I said it's calmed down a little bit now, but she's also very, very busy. I'm busy. He's busy. And we all work like maniacs too. That's the other thing that's, that's crazy. Um, we all work a lot. So... You know, our Google calendars look really silly. Just they're silly. Yeah. In a good working poly relationship, it is a silly looking calendar, but it has to be. Uh, as soon as you start forgetting people, that's when the uh, jealousies start to appear. And uh, a few weeks ago, we had the Billy Holder show on new relationship energy. Oh, I love Billy. He's great. Yeah. And, you know, he was talking uh, about, you know, his situation uh, to a, a live audience at Frolicon. And the situation is that you're, you know, your brain's producing all this serotonin, all this stuff, and you're, you're, you know, googly eyed over, uh, in love over this new object. <laughs> and your partners may not be. <laughs> I know in my case, that has been that. And, um, you know, and then they give me a slap upside the head and say, you know, remember me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also ran in a situation where I, I have um, my other girlfriend that I've been with. Oh, geez. You know, um, depending on when you count, probably about a year and a half now. I I didn't even realize this at the time because she is so stoic and she is so um, not wanting to rock the boat. Really a rational person. Very, very analytical. She was definitely... Definitely having some some worries about that because I you know this, this this other girlfriend came out of nowhere and she she was um you know not only dating me but also dating my husband so there's all this interaction and there's all these insecurities because you know she and my husband are not attracted to each other they don't have that kind of chemistry there's this idea that you know like I'm going to just shack up with the unicorn and not see her anymore because that's what I really want you know like that kind of whole thing and and that was really challenging for her actually I had a a, a couple parties because we've been around the holiday season, New Year's party. We have like an anti Valentine's Day party we tend to throw at my house um, where we just, we, we actually critique porn and we eat fried chicken. I kid you not. Um, and so, anti Valentine, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a um, tough day for people in Polly. It is. And so I had, you know, I had them both in my house. Um, at the same time, and they've known each other like off and on through like kink scene things for years, but not terribly well. I had them there. I had uh, my husband there and I had my new girlfriend's two partners there. And I'd only met the, the, the two, her two partners like one other time. Um, so it was really interesting. I was like, seriously stressed trying to juggle it all and manage it all and like not pay too much attention to any one person, but not 
pay too little attention and not be too affectionate with the girlfriend and from the partners I didn't know. And like it, I ended up feeling really exhausted by the end of it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I do know that feeling. And in a, what I call public environment and just between the partners, it's hard to be, you know, lovey dovey at all because you feel imbalanced and it's stressful. Wait till some of the new people try that out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was tough, too, because I think I had all my concerns. And you're right. I was really trying to be sensitive and not show any really lovey-doveyness and also trying to host the party because there was like 20 people in my house. There were also friends there. And then, you know, at one point I, I like turned around and my husband's like cuddling with like one of my girlfriends and then one other one of our friends. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I blew it. Like, like the whole thing. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Everybody's cuddling without me. And so then I had like the the left out feelings, which, you know, every I think everybody has them. I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging that the experts also have them, you know, but it but it happens. It was it was interesting. I learned a lot. I'm still kind of sorting through that whole experience in my mind because that wasn't too long ago. So we all have a psyche we have to feed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets the best of us. Yeah, I think that's just the thing is just um, not really like running away from those moments, you know, staying there and I don't know, resisting the urge to blame it all on everybody else. I think that's the hardest part of it is just being like, OK, well, I had a freak out there. What does that mean? And kind of coming back from it. Is it being analytical one of the very important skills in poly? I think so. I think it's hard for people to be analytical about their emotions, though. Um, I mean, that's probably the one thing I feel like I do right is pretty analytical about my own emotions. But I found a lot of times people will will kind of insist you have to be one or the other, that you're either analytical or you're emotional. So the idea that you can feel emotions and yet be rational about them, I think that's probably the most foreign concept when I'm talking to people about kind of the skills that I'm working through with polyamory. It just we're not used to actually even, you know, acknowledging that you can be rational or analytical about your emotions because we, we treat them like they're like hot and cold water and there's no warm water. So yeah. they're not even the same thing. The <laughs> truth. Emotions are emotions. Yeah. Left brain, right thing. Yeah. An, an analysis is not neither emotional or not emotional. It's what it it's just being rational. Yeah, I mean, you can use your whole brain at once. That's the thing. Like we talk about left brain and right brain and all that, and it's it's like we we use our whole brain at once. So, but the thing is, you can't be a hundred percent of anything, as they say. Unfortunately, if I'm two hundred percent of anything, I will explode. <laughs> uh, sooner or, or 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 later, of course. Uh, looking at my waistline, I'm I'm working on that. 200%. That's a whole different thing, beast. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're, we're talking about a big head. No, not that one. Uh, we only hope. So, Paige. Yes. What book number is this for you? Let's plug you a little bit for our listeners. This is not your first book. No, it's my second book. Um, my first book was Polyland, My Brutally Honest Adventures in Polyamory, which is a memoir about the first two years that I was polyamorous when I didn't know what I was doing and neither did anybody around me because this was like over 10 years ago. We didn't have the same resources we have now. Um, so, yeah, this is my second book, um, and I'm actually working on my third book right now. I'm, I'm, I'm actually knee-deep in the edits for my editor right now, and I'm swearing a lot, and that's uh, dealing with d- difficult metamors, which hopefully will be out in the spring or summer. I'm, I get less less optimistic by the day, but I think that's just my nature. I'm a realist. <laughs> that sounds like a good book, though, because uh, I know a lot of people that could use that. 
Yeah, it's basically, you know, like a troubleshooting guide for when you have awkward relationships with your partners, other partners. And it kind of helps you to go through and sort out how much control you have over things and how much things that there are that that you can influence and and ways to do that. And it it covers a lot of the really common problems that people have in relating to one another. So it's it's a really intermediate poly book. That was one of the things I was looking at is that there's a lot of good beginner material. Um, I did write this. The second book is kind of geared towards beginners is kind of the quick start guide. So I wanted to move into to more troubleshooting intermediate poly problems because I, I feel like there's been a lack of a lot of books on kind of the mid range poly problems, if you will, like they tend to be more geared towards beginners. That's a trend that we're seeing in most of our alt communities is we're stuck in the 101, 102 phase and not jump into even 200 or let alone three or 400 level. Varsity level. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's really what I'm looking to achieve ultimately. I did write the second book as, a, as an absolute 101 quick start guide. I wanted something that if somebody could sit down and they only had like two hours, this would be anything you need to know about poly so that you could just kind of navigate it. It's geared towards couples, but anybody can read it. Because I felt like I kind of had to do that because of just the reader demand. But really what I'm excited about is working towards these different topics. So I've got the metamors coming out in the spring, maybe summer. I'm hoping spring. And then I after that, I have a book um, on time management and long-distance relationships and divided attention, kind of from like a cognitive psych, personal development way. So looking at, we always talk about time and attention being limited. And so I wanted to give people actual tools that they can use in non-monogamy. And then like after that, I actually have a book on emotional self-care and kink, kink relationships that I've been kind of working on. So I have a lot of plans, a lot of things in the air. I'm, I'm, I'm writing all the time just because I, I'm really excited about the idea of giving people some some tools to kind of deal with the problems we all know exist and working on that 201-301 area. And you're also a prolific blogger, though, aren't you? Yeah, every day. And the reason why I wanted to write a new article every day at poly.land was because I read really obsessively when I was new to polyamory. I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of insecurity, and I was really hungry for that material. And I read a lot of different people, but I would find somebody's voice I really liked, a blogger I really liked, and there would be these long laps lapses like somebody who wrote a lot would write like maybe once every two weeks there would be months that would pass and when I was really struggling hard with insecurity and working on myself I could have really used somebody whose voice was there like every day so what I've tried to do is to be kind of that like poly pen pal if you will that I really wished I had to a bunch of people so I try to put something out every day um, and I've done it I've done it like 100% since September of 2016. I don't know how long I'll be able to keep it up, but it's really important to me. So I I make an effort to put something new out every day for people. In the uh, troubleshooting book, it would be interesting to look through the contents and see, let's see, primary feels left out, chapter seven. (laughs) (laughs) You'll just have to see, I guess. (laughs) Or or dare dare I say an index. (laughs) Yeah, primary feels left out. That is a real problem. It's funny you should say that because I've noticed, especially if people are new and they're coming at it from a a single uh, poly perspective rather than a partnered poly perspective, you know, they're looking and they start dating poly people as an unattached person. It's interesting. They'll be like, well, I, I read a lot about jealousy and I read a lot about insecurity, but I haven't experienced that. But a lot of times... Those individuals who are, are, are not having any problems are the new partners. They're joining established poly systems. And I find when I kind of 
maintain those correspondences and I keep retain them as clients essentially, that they will often run into problems when their partner gets a new partner. Like they're fine when they're the new partner, but once, you know, the partner gets a new partner, that's when the, the real threat comes in. And, I, and I've just seen it as a pattern and I'm just wondering if it's because, you know, you know that your partner accepts you with the other partners in, in the picture when you're new, but when there's somebody else that comes in as new, it's this unknown, scary thing. Because it's a very consistent thing. You're right. Yeah, the primary being very threatened by new partners is like the oldest story in Polly. Well, it is, and it is for good reason. You know, we all have our insecurities. I want all the women in my world, in my polycule, to feel completely free to choose who they want to date and have love with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when a new one pops up, you know, I have to take back and do a little retrospective on myself and go, okay, pay attention, you know, here's the rules, and, uh, you know, rationalize. Yeah, you, you definitely, you have to kind of talk through it and re be your own, like, reassurance squad. Like, I, I still struggle, and I hate to admit this, but if I'm dating somebody and it hasn't been very long, like, if it's only been, like, a few weeks or a month or something, and they just happen to date somebody new, like, right after, I have the worst brain weasels, I call them. I have the worst anxiety. Um, I'm usually good if we've been together like a little while, but if it's really close to when we've started, I, I, I go crazy. I don't like the way that I feel when I feel that way. And I'm not sure why time is helpful for me. I've, I've also heard the opposite from other people. Like they're fine until they've had a relationship for a while and it feels serious. Like they're okay with like a new person adding new people, but it's harder for them. I'm completely the opposite way. Like I have an innate insecurity when I first start dating somebody and then I become progressively more secure as we spend time together. So that's tough too. And you're going one way and, and one of your partners is going the other way. And, and so the dynamics are changing continuously. So I always sound really fatalistic when I talk about it, but it was kind of the ultimate reassurance to myself was that relationships that are supposed to make it are actually really hard to screw up. And there are relationships that are really, really hard to keep going. And then there are a lot that are somewhere in between. And I've kind of made a commitment to accepting that it's possible that some of my relationships won't make it when they're tested I mean, it's really, it's horrible. It's heartbreaking. It's the most devastating thing when something doesn't work out. Um, I actually, I had a breakup last summer that really sucked. But I like knowing the truth, even if it's painful. And so I, I kind of have made this commitment to trusting people, even if it's going to hurt me, because I, I think I'd rather know. And I also have a really, at this point, a lot of confidence in myself that I'll be okay. Like, I'll be really upset for a while, but that, you know, there's life after any particular relationship. So I don't know. I mean, I really, really care about my partners. I really don't want it to happen. But I always know when I fall in love with somebody that there's like a risk that they're going to break my heart. And the question isn't what percentage is that risk, but are, are they worth risking breaking my heart? So there's another twist that uh, people don't often see. I may have a new partner that goes on for a while and they become friends with my other partners. Mm. And then mm -hmm. we break up. Mm -hmm. It's not just me that goes through the breakup. And everybody feels stress. There's loss. Well, geez, they were my friend, but they kind of betrayed you, me, us, you know? Yeah, and it can be really tough for those people that are in the middle, for sure. You know, and, and actually, I kind of I experienced a, a worst-case scenario there. My first poly relationship ever 
uh, formerly Polly, you know, about 10 years ago, was actually a triad. Um, believe it or not, I had kind of a weird situation where I learned about Polly at the same time that I met a Polly person who wanted to date me and my husband. So talk about like, this was like a unicorn attack, um, which (laughs) (laughs) isn't really normal, but it's what happened. And so we dated for a while. Um, She was a friend of mine I'd I'd had a crush on for a couple of years, but I didn't do anything about it because I was a good married woman, you know, good married woman behave myself um but uh so we started dating and i fell for her so hard oh my god and she didn't fall for me but she did fall for my husband and so it was a really difficult thing uh and there's a lot kind of tied up in her sexual orientation because she'd been mostly bisexual in theory i've told you i've dated a lot of what i call baby buys um bisexual women um, or, or women who who feel like they might be bisexual but haven't dated women yet. And so, yeah, she it completely broke my heart. Um, and actually, I, it was my first foray into poly. I hadn't done the security work. I basically broke us all up. I took my ball and went home, my hurt feelings. And then I noticed how, you know, upset both she and my husband were. They missed each other a lot. They were both really heartbroken. And, you know, maybe after like three weeks of basically sulking in the corner, I decided even though I didn't like, I couldn't even wrap my mind around why I was saying it when I said it, but I I decided that I wanted them to date because I I wanted them to be happy, even if it weren't with me. And even if it kind of hurt me a little bit, I actually uh, encouraged them. They ended up dating. They are still dating, actually. So here we are 10 years later, they're still dating. You're right. It can be a lot of layers. It can be a lot of feelings. I think what's been important just for me navigating it all is trying to making sure that I take care of me and my emotional needs and all of that good stuff. But at the same time to always remember that even though it feels like it's all about me, that it's not all about me. Wise words. Yeah. If everybody thinks that, then, you know, we might get through it. Well, there's this great quote and I'm trying to remember who said it. I think it's Linus Pauling. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it goes something like, I'm going to screw it up, but I'm going to be close. Treat everybody uh, 20% kinder than they treat you, and the 20% is for error. Fair enough. That's a good good quote. You've got a book in the spring, summer. I do, yep. And you can keep on blogging. All the time. Till the heat death of the universe, I'll be writing. Polly.land. <laughs> and what is the uniform for a unicorn rancher? Does it... <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I bet it's colorful. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Part of me went to Despicable Me when she goes in the forest looking for the unicorn and comes back with the goat. Oh, God. But the, <laughs> I've done but, that. But now the goat is also the greatest of all time, right? Yeah. Paige, it's a treat having you. Always, always. Aw, thank you guys. You guys are great. I love your show. Well, we want to hear back from you on this new book. Okay. Okay, we'll see what we can do about the uh, the primary left out issue because I'm, I'm literally <laughs> editing it right now. I'll make sure it's in there. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Great talking to you, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. You have been listening to episode 219 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week, when we present, Tanya Joan Miller, on Phone Sex. Phone Sex.